the grocery shopping for your house or does like Joe go with you? Most of the time we'll go together. I've obviously done the grocery shopping for our house for years now. And Jake isn't like a picky eater, but for some reason he gets obsessed with things and then fucking hates them. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's a constant battle every, I want to say six to eight weeks where it's like, he only eats Chobani yogurt. And then all of a sudden he's just like, why are you buying Chobani? I fucking hate Chobani. And then I have to find a different yogurt. And so that always happens with yogurts and bars and cereals and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And this bitch only wants RX bars. Well, he did. And those things are like $3 a goddamn bar. They're so expensive. And now they're just sitting here and he's eating all of my goddamn Lara bars. You should do like um, print out whatever your last grocery list was and have him look at it and mark off what he's not digging. Do you think I'm like a mommy blogger? I'm not, I'm not playing these games. I'm not doing printouts <laughs> of grocery lists. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You're gonna have to start hiding your food. <laughs> Hey friends, welcome to Let's Not. I'm Sam. And I'm Michelle. And we are on episode number 29. Oh, uh, it's amazing. Where has the time gone? You know what? Now that you said it, it doesn't even seem like that big of a number. Really? <laughs> yeah. 29 weeks. That's like if I kept up with my healthy habits, think of where I would be at in life right oh now. Oh my God. 29 weeks. Are you joking? Remember episode four? when I got my Planet Fitness membership and then immediately oh my broke God. my ankle, shattered it to a million pieces. Yep. That's been doing well. Remember whatever <laughs> episode where we're talking about, I'm going to go out of my comfort zone and wear different fashions and be the person <laughs> I really want to be. And now look at me. <laughs> I'm a stupid bitch. <laughs> uh, we we have this documentation to go back and um, shame ourselves with, so that works. Yeah, more shame, just more shame for myself, just what I needed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so on this week's episode, friends, we are going to be talking about local crime that we remember in our area. I'll be talking about a case that happened in Wichita a long time ago, and then Michelle's going to talk about one that she heard of in which area, Michelle? It is Beverly, Massachusetts. So it was like my college days. Yeah. So we'll be getting into that. We think maybe we'll do like a part two. Maybe it'll be a thing of where we rotate it in and out. And maybe there's like um, a crime that you guys remember that kind of affected your neighborhood or something along the lines. Um, we'll kind of see how it goes. Yeah, I think it would be interesting because there is a few just in this area that like we've been in for the last 10 years. And I feel like there's a lot more from my actual hometown too. Also, my vocal cords are crushing as we speak. So it's going to be a little scratchy on my end. Sorry for future Michelle who's editing this. <laughs> Future Michelle is going to be fine. I just feel bad that <laughs> you are like hurting. It's fine. I'll survive for the Let's Not podcast. <laughs> Michelle, did you um, hear anything about the Astro World tour with Travis Scott? I did. Yeah. What do you think about all of that? I feel like, has any festival really gone to plan? I just can't understand it. It's just so crazy. Now they're thinking, so it was reported that eight people had died. Now yeah. they're, they just realized there was another person who died. I guess she had injuries, ended up in the hospital and she was brain dead. Oh shit. And so they're thinking like the more time passes by, there's probably going to be a few more deaths that get reported. That are associated with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, it's happened several times in history. I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, but there was like a Who concert that there was like a stampede where people died. And then there was just a My Favorite Murder like a few weeks back of a soccer match in England where 98 people died. I always thought like freezing to death or, you know, like being burnt alive would be horrible, but... Mm -hmm. The thought of being like smothered or stampeded upon and like just not being able to get back up, like almost like drowning on earth is like mm -hmm. so terrifying. 
Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. And it's crazy because all of the footage that's being released from this show, there's people that are like yelling to stop the concert. There's people that are crawling up on the stages where the camera people are at. And they're like, I think someone died and no one, no one's doing anything. They're just like, leave me alone. The ambulance people are walking through the audience and Travis Scott is just up there humming. People are like, was he under the influence? Which I don't, he probably was, but I'm just like you, there have been artists and they're like, when you're on stage, you see, you can see like when the headlights are on, I forget what they're called in drama talk, but it's like, (laughs) you can see down in there, you can literally see individual faces and he's just like, at first, when I saw the footage of him humming while they're escorting the person away, I'm like, well, maybe he's just trying to like keep it at bay, just trying to like make sure that they get out okay and not mm-hmm. knowing, maybe thinking they just passed out or something. I don't know. He's wanting to cover the funeral cost for these people that have lost someone. But just think of all the lawsuits that are going to start coming through. Mm-hmm. It's like, even if you broke your ankle, you're probably going to try to file a lawsuit. There was a man who ended up taking his nine-year-old son, I believe, to this concert, which what? I, I'm not too familiar with Travis Scott, but it sounds like a lot of his shows he hypes the audience up to kind of be wild. And there's people that there's been all kinds of occurrences, but this guy ended up taking his nine-year-old son, had him on his shoulders. The crowd like started trampling each other. He woke up being trampled, didn't know where his son was at. And his son was at the children's hospital. Oh my God. The son is okay. Thank goodness. There's just so many stories that are coming out now. And I feel like he, he should be held responsible, but also the people who put on the show too. You know, I feel like it's all parties involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's also scary on another level because when usually when you're at festivals, not everybody, but a lot of people do take, you know, drugs like mushrooms, acid Mm -hmm. and stuff. So there's an additional level of everything's going wrong. And also I'm not completely in my right state of mind. I don't know. It's just it's it's so scary. And yeah, I have seen since that has happened, like a lot of clips of other performers stopping a show to be like, I just saw somebody faint, go get them. I think I saw Adele and then Aesop Rocky, mm-hmm. um, where they just like stop the concert. And it's like, yeah, the show, the show must go on is not a thing that is set in stone. Like that is not a real thing when it comes to people's lives. Right. I mean, we covered the Woodstock 99 where Havoc just unleashed and then also the Fire Festival that was like a more recent shit show. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what can be done, but at the same time, more should be done, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't. It just seems like his brand is for his shows to get so fucking crazy. And even when people get injured, he'll post photos of them like on their Instagram. They're like, yeah. Hey man, like this person risked their life for my show. And it was even reported that he had tried to talk someone to jumping into the crowd saying that they would catch this person. Of course he jumps, no one caught him. And this Ugh. guy is still in a wheelchair, which I'm not saying that Travis Scott is responsible for that guy jumping because like you're, you have to be responsible for yourself. Yeah. Like don't make yep. dumb decisions for sure. It just doesn't look too good with all of these stories about his shows being off the wall, you know? It's like a fine line. Cause I hate blaming that. It's like even on Woodstock 99 where they were just like, it's Kid Rock's like loud, aggressive music that made them Mm -hmm. do it. Or, you know, the Columbine shooting where it's like, it's Marilyn Manson's music. Like, I don't like that idea of the music Mm -hmm. made the kids do it. Right. I just think that there needs, unfortunately, to be more rules and regulations, which fucking sucks. Cause like when you go to a concert, you just want to enjoy yourself. You don't want to go through all of that bullshit, Mm -hmm. but if this is what's going to happen, unfortunately, it needs to be safer. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like, I, I'm not saying that he made everyone act mm. a damn fool, but no, no, no. Maybe him at the next shows, whenever he decides to like go back to performing, maybe say like, Hey, I want to have a wild fun time too, but we all need to be safe. Like no one's here to get injured. Like we're all here for the same reason. We just want to let loose, be safe mm-hmm. and have a good time. Alrighty. Um, well, to lighten things up a little bit, have mm. you heard who is this year's sexiest man? Oh, I saw it this morning. I'm so excited. 
like squirming in bed and I, I, Joe was home and I was like whipping my feet in the bed sheets. And I was like, Joe, I was like, guess who just got the sexiest man. And he was like, oh, your boyfriend. And I was like, yep. And we're talking about Paul Rudd, mm-hmm. which Michelle, do you think he's a cutie? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. He has like that boy next door charm and he's just witty and funny. And he's honestly looked amazing for 30 years now. Yeah. So handsome. He's very so handsome. funny. I always, I'm like, I always hear that he's a nice guy as if I know his friends, but <laughs> from what I read, everyone says that he's like a really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward to 15 episodes when something comes out about Paul Rudd and we'll just play I, this clip. <laughs> I feel like they would have said by now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I wanted to read Britney Spears's Instagram post because she was calling out her mom, which <gasps> I know we had always uh, talked. Everyone wondered, like, why isn't her mom doing anything during all of this stuff happening? And she did take down the post. She deleted it. So she said, the moment I smile and I realize I haven't in a very long time, my mom gets so concerned and says, you're acting weird. What's wrong with you? I say, Hi, my name is Britney Spears. Nice to finally meet you. Before I go any further, forgive me in advance. It's been 13 years and I'm a little rusty. It was a family business before. It's no longer that anymore. I was born today because I get to smile. So thank you for exiting out of my life and finally allowing me to live mine. P.S. Do I know how mean I sound? Yes, I 100 billion percent do. P.S. My dad may have started the conservatorship 13 years ago, but what people don't know is that my mom is the one who gave him the idea. I will never get those years back. She secretly ruined my life, and yes, I will call her and Lou Taylor out on it. So take your whole, I have no idea what's going on attitude and go fuck yourself. You know exactly what you did. My dad is not smart enough to ever think of a conservatorship, but tonight I will smile knowing I have a new life ahead of me. Whoa. Whoa. Damn girl. Oh shit. Also, I love like the shade at the dad. Like he's not smart enough to fucking do this. (laughs) Well, yeah. Oh my God. But it's been deleted. So who knows? Maybe her lawyer was like, Brittany, like you can't pop off just yet. We're still doing things behind the scene, but I'm sure. I'm sure that felt so good getting it off of her chest and pushing post. (laughs) Yeah. I do agree with that, um, but I also want to comment on everyone's reaction to her sister. Mm-hmm. It's like I understand that she has said like she was involved, like she got perks out of it too. But I feel like a lot of people then immediately just started slamming her like on social media and being like, you're a piece of shit and all this stuff. And I'm just kind of like, don't you see that that's like the same reaction we all had to Britney? like in 2005 like can we just like Mm -hmm. stop like you don't actually know this girl (laughs) at all and you don't actually know what her role is if any she might have just been like okay whatever and I think like the vitriol and the same exact treatment of Britney just doing it to what's her name Jamie Jamie. now Mm -hmm. Jamie Lynn now is is just the same exact thing like you don't need to tell her that she's a piece of shit you really don't So I don't know. I noticed that the other day where it's like she can't even put a post up where and probably because of the algorithm and stuff. But I always see just articles on my Facebook wall being like Jamie Lynn being called out now for this or like, you know, just like any little caption that she writes is immediately spun Mm -hmm. into a super negative thing and like the book that she just wrote. And I don't know. I think it's getting a little too much of like the hate toward her too. Yeah. I didn't really think of that. Cause I, I, not that I'm like attacking her right off the bat, but I'm just like, we don't know what's going on. And yeah. two, like, I don't know. She, I still, I don't know. I'm going to sound crazy for th- saying this, but so I watch a lot of like Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon, conspiracies <laughs> you still didn't say it right <laughs> say it again nickelodeon 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 whatever okay anyways okay. i'm a con- i watch a lot of nick conspiracy videos and stuff like that and it's been talked about that she the baby's dad was actually one of the 
TV producers and that maybe she got like molested. Who knows? But I'm just like, we have no idea what she's gone through in her life. Like think of, and I'm not saying like, she's not an awful person or like, I don't fucking know her. You don't know her either. But it's like, can you imagine being Britney Spears's little sister back then? And just like, you probably got lost in life. Your parents probably didn't give a shit about you. Yeah. Then they push you onto like doing your, trying to do your thing. You don't really get that. You're not that successful compared to Britney Spears, of course. So it's like, you just don't know what is going on. So I, I do feel bad for her sometimes, but if she really didn't support Britney though, like she's an adult now. I feel like you would know. Yes. And if you talk to Britney, you would be like, I'm sure Brittany has tried to ask her for help. I would mm-hmm. hope so. I would think so. But again, I don't know. But it's just, yeah, you don't know, I guess. No, and that might all be true. I just don't think that people need to just get on her Twitter and on her Instagram and tell her to like yes. go kill herself. I just no, don't think that's appropriate. Not. Like Especially, whatever. Go ahead. I just whatever will work out will work out. Like she yeah. doesn't need to be given death threats. People don't need to wish that her family's going to die. Mm-hmm. People are trying to start a petition to get her off of the show that she's on. I think it's on Netflix maybe. And it's like if she loses this job, how is she supposed to take care of her family? <sighs> yeah. It gets too far and it's just ironic because the whole thing was we treated Britney so poorly, we completely ignored the fact that because mm-hmm. She had a mental break because of paparazzi and the general public interest in her. That's the reason she got put into this conservatorship. And now people are just doing the same exact thing to Jamie Lynn on the pretense of you also treat like, you know, I just feel like it's almost a scapegoat for the public to be like, you're the one that did this. And like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't all of us also just fucking bashing her for years. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little too much at this point. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting if we did an episode of cancel culture. Mm -hmm. Because think of the energy that the public is putting towards these celebrities and whatnot. And it's like, think of all the people that are literally in your own fucking life that you wouldn't like try to get them to lose their job. You wouldn't. Yeah. Like, who are you supporting in your own life? That probably isn't the best person either. And I feel like sometimes they're taking their energy and maybe anger and deflecting it on someone else. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's like, who are you supporting in your community, Mm -hmm. Mm ma'am? Who are you supporting your family, ma'am, sir? Yeah. Yeah, if you cancel someone, you get them out of the way and they're done. But it's like, well, what are they doing behind the scenes to grow as a person and to change? Like, don't you – if you put that much energy in canceling them, don't you want to see that they're actually changing and evolving? Mm -hmm. Literally no one is a fully evolved, perfect person at all. all. We're constantly growing. We're constantly learning things. We're constantly changing. And this whole idea of like, you're done, you're canceled – I don't want to ever hear from you again. It's like, that's not how life works. It just isn't. Um, okay, well, let's let's so, do yeah. an episode where we compound upon that. Sounds good. Um, what else? Let's lighten it up again. Let's um, lighten it up. <laughs> I went to go see this last weekend. We went to the movie theater and I went to go see The French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's new film. Um, highly recommend it. Okay. If you like his movies, you're going to love it. It's great. Um, It was amazing. Maybe not for the people that work there. So we caught the last showing at like 950. And we were 100% the only people in the movie theater itself. Like, (laughs) and I kind of feel bad because we walked in and the kid at the counter was just like, oh, what are you guys here for? And I was like, French dispatch or whatever. And then I realized that we're the only reason why he is not going home two hours early. You know what I mean? Aww. <laughs> they did is it like-, like a big, like a movie theater chain or was it a local? It's called like a vision plex. So I don't know if that's okay. like, but it's a bigger theater. Like it was definitely made or, you know, constructed in like probably the late nineties. Okay. Um, so it has that vibe, but also like the Eternals had just let out before we were going in and there was like, maybe like eight people in that movie. So I was just like, that sucks. Like that is not enough to like to cover overhead. Mm-hmm. It was a Saturday night too, you know? Wow. So anyway, that cinema struggling, but we went, we were the only people there. They didn't even play the previews. They just immediately got to the movie. Oh, no previews. Oh. <laughs> they were just like. 
let's wrap this up. Yeah. Um, but it was great. It's, it's really nice to be in the movie theater completely by yourself. It is. Um, but it was a great movie. Whenever I watch his movies, I just like feel like such a like jolt of like, you need to be creative, like, because they're just like so beautifully done and composed and the color palettes just like invigorate me. And I'm just like, I just want to get home and fucking just make art for myself. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it was nice. It was great. Okay. So I have a confession. I am not familiar I know. with West. Anderson films. I don't think all I know is Wes Anderson. And then people talk about how beautiful his films are. Is there one that being not familiar that I would know by the title? I think the most popular ones are um, the Royal Tenenbaums and then Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. No, not at all. Okay. So what would you recommend me watching for my first Wes Anderson film? I would probably do Royal Tenenbaums. What's that about? It's about like a like a family multi-generations um living in like this house in New York and just all of his movies are very like character driven and then like also like whimsical but it's just like the dynamics in this like very quirky strange family. And then also I don't know more recently, some movies that came out were Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Maybe you've like seen trailers for it. Moonrise Kingdom was about like a Boy Scout and a girl in a pink dress. No, no. nothing. Uh, Life Aquatic, you've never seen like a picture of like Bill Murray. He's wearing like a blue uniform with a red little knit cap. That sounds familiar. That's Life Aquatic. You just do gotta- they, does he have like books, Wes Anderson? Like why do I think of paintings when it comes to him no he doesn't have books but he did do a few like um animation ones so he also did fantastic mr fox he did a movie that just came out recently which was a book that he didn't write but yeah that and that's when he does animation it's also really really beautiful so he did that in isle of dogs and i feel like ever since he started doing animations now it's like affecting his real life movies it's just there's just something about it that really speaks to me. And I feel like you're either you really do like him or you just really do not care. Mm-hmm. So it's the Fox one and the animation. That's what I yeah, probably kind of know him about. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're like your soul got inspired. It did. It did. So um, is there like a little paint table next to you and you've been painting <laughs> in the nude looking out your bay window? I wish. No, I I wish. No, I had some things to finish up and then I'm going to Connecticut this weekend. So I was just like, this week's been busy, but like my plan is if I don't get to it before December, like when we go to Portugal, there's probably going to be like downtime and I just kind of want to sit in the fields and just draw. Oh, that sounds so nice. So yeah, I'm excited. That's awesome. Which by the way, this is totally random kind of. Um, before we started recording, I saw that someone had messaged our Instagram regarding about the walking around nude. And I just saw on the notification little tag that they were like, I have two fears of why I don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Like, because if someone breaks in, Mm -hmm. what if I'm in the nude? Like I'm worried about getting attacked. I've already made it easier for them. And two, if there is a fire, like I need to grab some clothes. You made it harder for them because then they can't grab you by your like clothes and get you closer. You're all like loose and you know what? Keep some oil next to the bed and just like squirt yourself down and then you're, it's impossible. They can't grab you. I'll slide right away. Slide right away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They had mentioned like, if there's a fire, I get nervous about like leaving. And then what was the second one? I thought it was being attacked. Was it being attacked? Or maybe my mind just went there. (laughs) You immediately were just like, how does this affect me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. See, no. Um, Part B was a spider will crawl into my vagina while I sleep. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Not not worried about that. (laughs) I'm more worried about my ear canals with bugs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So our main topics do include stories of rape domestic violence, and murder, so listener discretion is advised. All righty.
So the crime that I'm going to be talking about, this had happened back in Wichita, Kansas, which is where I'm from. And it happened in the year 2000. And at the time, I don't remember hearing about this. I think I heard about it maybe when they were trying to figure out what was going to happen once the trial started. Um, But it's just one that I always check. I end up checking on because it's still up in the air and it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Um, I'm going to like not give too many brutal details, but Mm -hmm. you'll get the gist of it. So these crimes were committed by Reginald and Jonathan Carr. They're known as the Carr brothers. And back home, it's known as the Wichita Horrors. Um, Yeah. it's, It's something out of a lifetime movie. Like, and I saw that when I was looking back, just getting the details and stuff to refresh my brain, that there was someone who wrote a book about it, that they sell it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And even just the cover is like brutal. And I feel like it's someone who randomly looked into the crime and they were just trying to make like a quick buck. Um, I'll show you the cover after, but anyways. Okay. Okay. So the early lives of Reggie and Jonathan Carr were rather harsh. They were born in Dodge City, which is another town in Kansas. It's not too far from Wichita. Their parents fought a lot and would turn extremely violent against one another. Their father and later their mother's boyfriends would sexually abuse their older sister. Eventually, the two divorced and their father immediately abandoned his old life. Their mother, Janice Harding, would go on to have a second marriage that was as violent and unsuccessful as the first one, with the husband even once putting a gun to her head. Occasionally, Reggie and Jonathan would also live with their maternal grandmother, who, like their mother, was also prone to sudden outbursts of rage. Janice was also abusive on them, punishing them by using electrical cords How she used them exactly is unspecified. The broken lives the brothers led at home practically defined themselves. Reggie would put up fights at school and had a notably bad performance record there. He was protective of his brother and was experienced with the knowledge of sex and drugs. This reportedly began when he was six. Jonathan became suicidal once attempting suicide by drinking antifreeze when he was 16 years old. Reggie's early adult life became a series of failed marriages. Both also established lengthy arrest records. Alrighty, so getting into the Wichita horror. My God, does my voice sound like I'm struggling? A little bit, yeah. Alrighty, cool. (laughs) (laughs) No, it just sounds like a little scratchy, but I know that you're struggling, but like, you know, the listeners won't be like, oh, is she dying or anything? Is she smoking a cig right now? Okay. Um, Imagine if we were both just ripping butts. God. I love that so much for whatever reason. Just like two old like casino hags just ripping butts. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Um, All right. One day during 2000, the year 2000, the Carr brothers made a decision to go on a crime spree in Wichita. Exactly what led to this decision is currently unspecified. The two brothers started with robbing 23-year-old assistant baseball coach Andrew Schreiber at gunpoint on December 8th upon arriving in Wichita. Three days later, at least one of them next approaches a 55-year-old cellist and librarian, Anne Walenta, as she parked her SUV in front of her house and held her at gunpoint in what appeared to be a carjacking. Walenta attempted to drive away only for the attacker to riddle her with bullets, (gasps) severely wounding her. A neighbor called 911 when her car horn was heard blaring, having been activated by Walenta's collapsed head. On a, I know. So on a snowy December 14th, the Carr brothers invaded 12727 Birchwood Drive, which was currently housing five people. Jason Before, who was 26, he was an Augusta High School science teacher and a football coach. Brad Heike, who was 27, 
Director of Finance with Coke Financial Services, Heather Mueller, 25, St. Thomas preschool teacher who planned to become a nun, and Aaron Sander, 29, a former Coke employee who had decided to become a priest. What? Yeah. And then also Holly G, which they've kept her identity anonymous. So Jason lived there with his roommates, which were the other guys. And then their girlfriends would come over to hang out together. And on this night, they happened to have all of their girlfriends over and they went to bed. And Jason and Holly were the two that were dating, which... I'll talk more about. Holly and Jason were both in their room winding down for the night and they kind of hear mumbling and they also see like the outdoor spotlights come on Mm -hmm. and they're wondering like, what is it? Not that they were worried about anything too seriously. They were just like making sure everything was okay. They start to hear more rumbling inside the house and they can hear some voices that are kind of mumbled. And then all of a sudden they can hear these two voices and these two men, which are the Carr brothers kick in the bedroom door and they drag in one of Jason's friends. So eventually the Carr brothers gathered up all five residents before robbing the house of its valuables, including in a tragic twist of fate, an engagement ring. Hmm. Jason had planned on proposing to Holly Christmas, which would have been like a week and a half later. Yeah. And so the Carr brothers had found the ring in another room. They came back and they were like, whose is this? And Jason was like, that's mine. And they were asking if there were any other jewelry. And so Holly ended up looking at Jason and he was like, I was going to propose to you. Oh my God, Sam. I know. This better not end the way I think it's going to end. So the Carr brothers then subjected their captives into various forms of sexual abuse. They would, they ended up raping all of the girls, they beat all of the guys, and they would put them in the closet, and whoever was being raped at the time would be the one that they would take out of the closet while everyone else was in in the closet. And then once the Carr brothers raped the girls, they then dragged out the males and made the males individually rape each female that was there in the house. So afterwards, the Carr brothers took them to a bank where they forced them to empty out their accounts and give the money to them. Then they drove all five victims to a snowy soccer field. Mind you, they were still unclothed, tied up, beaten. So they took them all out, pushed them in the snow in front of the car, pushed them down to their knees, and ended up shooting them execution style. Oh my god. So once everyone was shot, the Carr brothers drove over all of the bodies (gasps) in their truck, and they just drove away from the snowy field. What the fuck? It's crazy because eventually Holly, Jason's girlfriend, she realizes that she is still alive and she played dead, of course, until she knew that they were like not coming back. And what happened was, although they tried, they shot her in the head, the bullet ended up hitting like a barrette that she had in her hair from earlier that morning. It was like a clip that she put in her hair. Yeah. So it didn't like injure her head, of course. Whoa. So she gets up and she tries to see if all of her friends are dead, what the situation is. And she immediately takes, like she had a sweater with her. She immediately takes the sweater and tries to stop the bleeding with Jason's injuries. But then she realizes that they're all dead and that she needs to go find help. So she runs in the middle of night in like all the fucking snow. It's 17 degrees. And she runs a mile trying to find a house that she can go to. And every car that she sees go by, like there weren't a lot of cars because it was pretty late at night. But any car that she saw, she would immediately just drop to the ground, play dead, try to hide in the (gasps) snow because she wasn't sure if that was them coming back to make sure that everyone was dead or if they were even done torturing them more. So she ends up running to a house. She calls, she's able to call 911. And it is revealed later on that the Carr brothers went back to the house to rob them of their belongings even more. They ended up killing Holly's dog with a golf club. (gasps) 
I know. So then what had happened was, so she's getting help. There are cops that end up going to Jason and his roommate's apartment and they are looking around seeing what's going on. The car brothers ended up stealing Jason's truck. So the cops are trying to look for this truck. It's like four o'clock in the morning. One of the car brothers is in another car and he drives by Jason's house. And what a random cop noticed was that the man in the car just drives straight. He doesn't even look to see what's going on at the house. When it's like, if you're driving by a house and there's cops, it's a natural instinct to yeah. look to see what's going on. Yeah. But he just kept looking straight ahead. So the cop was like, that's kind of unusual. So he got the license plate, had another cop pull him over. And it was one of the car brothers, of course. At the time, they didn't know that they were looking for this specific person. They just knew it was weird. And we wanted, they wanted to check yeah. out if there yeah. was anything going on. So the cop ended up pulling him over. He let him go for whatever reason. So then it became a thing on the news where the news started reporting and the Carr brothers lived at an apartment complex. A neighbor saw the car that the news was looking for, the truck. And so that's how the apartment, the neighbor called it in and then the cops ended up coming to the apartment and arrested both of them. So this happened back in 2000, and they were given the death penalty, which was a thing in Kansas, Mm -hmm. and then it got overturned. Is the death penalty a thing here in Massachusetts or no? No. Even the sound of this crime sounds like so 70s to me that the fact that it happened in 2000 2000, is so – it's weird. And I remember like before refreshing my brain on it, I just imagined like this – Big, I remember it being kind of like a big, nice house. Mm-hmm. And I just imagine them like being all cozy during December and just like for some reason, I imagine them like renting out the house for like a holiday vacation or something. Like yeah. I didn't realize that they this was their home. Um, but yeah, and I remember when the news talked about the soccer field that they were executed in like it was such a big thing and people would drive by it just to see what it looked like and it's so crazy yeah okay um especially I feel like when you're living with that many people you do feel super safe you know you're like there's five full adults here yeah I would feel safe too yeah so the two brothers were sentenced to die in 2002 for four killings known as the Wichita Massacre or the Wichita Horror. They were in front of the Kansas Supreme Court seeking to have their sentences commuted to life in prison instead of the death sentence. Mm -hmm. So then Jonathan and Reggie's attorneys continued to argue that their death sentences should be overturned because the two brothers had a joint hearing when jurors considered their punishment. So pretty much like their team felt like oh, it sounds more dramatic when there's two killers involved. Like, can we not try to prosecute them as single individuals? Maybe one brother made the other one do it. Maybe mm-hmm. one had mental issues. Like, just kind of, I feel like less scary, you know? The Kansas court upheld their convictions in 2014, but overturned their death sentences, concluding that not having separate hearings violated the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court reversed that decision in 2016, returning the case to the Kansas court. It was such a big deal, too. Okay, so the brothers were sentenced to die over a home invasion in December of 2000 that included robbery, rape, torture, and the execution-style shootings of four victims. Other crimes over six days left a fifth person dead. Each of the brothers accused the other of carrying out the crimes. Reggie contends he was the victim of mistaken identity and that Jonathan Carr committed the murders with someone else. So disgusting. Yeah. Jonathan contends Reginald Carr was mainly responsible for the crimes and abused him along with other members of their family. So it's still in court. Like the, in May, May was the last update that I could find that they were supposed to like take it to court again. Cases like this where it's so clear that they're just fucking around with the system annoy the shit out of me because there are actual cases that are wrongly convicted. And it's like, you guys were 100% the people that committed these crimes. Yep. Just fucking stop. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like every time that it's getting overturned or something else is being decided, Holly, just mm-hmm. think of what she's feeling. Like it's been said that she's continuing living her life. She ended up getting married. I kept finding a story of where she got married to the guy that they actually held at gunpoint at the ATM machine. I don't know if that's true, but there has been some reports that they kind of bonded over this trauma, Mm -hmm. Um, but she ended up getting married to someone and she has kids now, but I can't even imagine anytime that it switches up. It's just like, you guys literally killed my friends. Like I saw you, I saw both of you there. It doesn't, I don't know. It's like, it doesn't matter if your brother made you do it, you fucking did it. Like, yeah. Well, if you're that fucking sick, I'm sure that they get pleasure of making her come to court every fucking parole or every trial hearing. I'm sure that they love it. Mm-hmm. They're fucking disgusting animals. Yeah. And that book cover that I was telling you about. So it's like, a car out in a snowy field with just four dead bodies in front of the car. And I'm like, can you imagine being Holly? And like, someone's like, did you see this book that someone wrote? I'm just like, really? Like you couldn't just put the snow. You had to put Mm -hmm. a car. You had to put the four bodies in front of the car with the headlights, the snow falling, some blood. Yeah, that's far. It just, the part about, I mean, everything about that breaks my heart, but the idea that they're all just in this room and they produce the engagement ring. And like, she knows, like, even in that moment, you probably think we're going to get out of this or whatever. I don't know. Oh, I know. It's just so fucking heartbreaking. Like, I feel like that memory would just be with me forever. I can't even imagine how many times (sighs) she thinks of that night and just what you just seeing your friends being tortured like that. Mm -hmm. And then also the friggin' hiding when you see a car coming is just so friggin' scary. Like, I don't trust anybody that's in a car right now. Even if they can help me, I'm not even going to fucking risk it. No. Uh, that is horrible, Sam. I cannot believe that happened in our lifetime. I know. And it's it's so over the top, especially I'm assuming that they knew they were going to execute all of them at the end. So it's like... I don't know them raping them. It's like, I always assume it's like a power thing. It's a sexual thing, but having the males also sexually assault them almost seems like, well, I want you to live with that and be tortured forever with the idea that you also like abused your Mm -hmm. friends and stuff. But knowing that they were going to kill them anyway, it's like, you guys are just fucking sadistic. Like, yeah, you're fucking evil. You want their last memories of life Mm -hmm. to be this heinous fucking crime. Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. And Holly had even said that they each step that things kept getting worse and worse, that they would say, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. Not yet. (sighs) Just thinking of her just putting that random clip in her hair that she probably wears every single day. And it ends up saving her life. Mm -hmm. I would never think that that would save my life, a barrette. And just think, what would have happened if she ended up dying? Like, would they have gotten away with it? I feel like eventually they would get caught, you know, but. I feel like they would have gotten caught, but having an eyewitness was probably super detrimental in like the hearing, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I have like the goosebumps right now. I mean, it really is something you would see in a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially the fucking hiding from cars. Not only in horror movies does that sometimes happen, but oh God, I remember reading an article a few years back where a woman was, I think, trying to catch the bus that night after like a night out and, um, you know, somebody in a car pulled over and pulled her into the car and ended up sexually assaulting her and then just dumped her. And then the next car that she flagged down, like, you know, half of her clothes are torn. She's like in such a state, she's crying and stuff. And the fucking guy that pulls over to help her out that she gets in the car with rapes her again. What? Yes. And fucking leaves her again. And then. Oh my God. 
I think like after, I don't know. I think after the second time she was like found unconscious by an actual good Samaritan, but it's like, how would you ever, ever, ever fucking trust anybody ever again? Whoa. So it's like that had, I know that has happened in real life. So Mm -hmm. even the wherewithal of her in 2000 to be like, I'm not fucking chancing whoever Mm -hmm. is the stranger that's coming down the road, you know? Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. Because especially if it's so late at night, imagine, I mean, not imagining because they did do such brutal stuff, but it's like knowing that they did that, Mm -hmm. like them coming back just to torture them more and make sure that they're really dead would not be a surprise from how they have been, you know? They were absolute fucking sadists. Well, I wish we could say now let's lighten this up but michelle's gonna get into her my true crime story is different than sam's so my story is about uh occurrence that happened when i was still no i think i had just left montserrat but i was still working my part-time job at the local breakfast place and beverly massachusetts has like three colleges in it and so there's definitely breakfast places that like all the college kids go to and things like that but the one i worked at was definitely more so locals and like all of our regulars are people that lived in the area for you know decades um so the people involved in this crime were like well-known and also both of them were police officers in the area so super well-known and this happened on a Friday night so I just remember that Saturday morning breakfast shift it's all anyone could talk about it's literally everyone was just speculating fucking wildly and everyone's just like oh my god but then this and then have you heard this and I think this and it was just the craziest weekend ever of just wild speculation because of this kind of bonkers thing that had happened the night before okay so on the evening of February 24th 2012 Hamilton Police Sergeant Kenneth Nagy and Beverly Police Officer Jason Lantick arranged to meet at the local Starbucks in North Beverly. Early that morning, Ken and his wife Katie had had a conversation about issues in their marriage, including his belief that she was having an improper relationship with Officer Jason Lantic. So Katie did admit that they were having an emotional affair and the couple mapped out their routine for the rest of the day. Katie would go to her parents' home in Hamilton and Ken would drop off their two sons there later. At 1 p.m., he dropped off the kids and Katie said he was distraught. They made a plan to meet back up at their own house at 8 p.m. to continue talking without the kids, but unfortunately that meeting never happened. Instead, around 5 p.m., Ken called Jason and confronted him about the relationship. Jason said, it's not what you think, Ken, and offered to speak with him in person. Ken said that he would like to meet him in Hamilton, but Jason suggested that they meet at the Starbucks in Beverly, joking that this was so Ken Nagy would not shoot him. Ken laughed and agreed to meet him. So about half an hour later, they meet near the front door of Starbucks. They talk for roughly 10 minutes Ken appears upset, but he's also calm during the conversation. After Jason grabs his coffee, both men walked out the front door of the Starbucks and spoke for a few seconds before the conversation ended and Nagy walked back to his car. Jason waited outside for his ride to pick up mom, which was actually his mother. So him and his mom had been together when Ken called, so she drove him to the Starbucks and parked in the parking lot and waited for him like to wrap up the conversation with Ken. Mm-hmm. So Ken had gotten back into his vehicle. He backs up, stops, opens his window, and calls out to Jason. Jason starts walking over to his car, and Ken fires two shots at him, striking him in the wrist and in the thigh. Jason stumbles toward the front door of Starbucks, bleeding heavily, and Ken speeds away. People that were inside of the Starbucks saw everything happen, and a bunch of people ran out, not even before like Ken left, so like risking their own lives. Oh my god. They ran over to Jason and used like a belt as a tourniquet for his thigh wound and then like applied pressure to his wrists until an ambulance arrived and they absolutely like saved his life because not only was his wrist fucking shot through, but like it did nick his femoral artery, the thigh gunshot. Um, So, oh God, and this is horrible. According to an unidentified witness interviewed by police, Lantic said he had hurt somebody, quote, not physically, but emotionally, unquote. Lantic also asked the unidentified person if they thought he was a horrible person. The person answered, of course not. 
As Officer Jason Lantick is rushed to Beverly Hospital, an urgent manhunt was now underway for Sergeant Ken Nagy. State police located and interviewed Katie Nagy at her parents' home in Hamilton. She recounts the conversations her and Ken had earlier that day. Katie said she admitted to the relationship, and Ken told her that he was looking for a divorce attorney. Katie said that she had been seeking marriage counseling for six months and had asked Ken to go with her, but he refused. She also told police that she suspected her husband had been listening or taping her conversations because he was repeating things back to her that she had said in telephone conversations. Whoa. Yeah. Ken had also told her that a Beverly police officer told him that Katie was screwing around, which go fuck yourself. If you think I'm screwing around, you say it. Don't involve other people. Or I'm assuming that police officer did tell him that, but also it's like mind your own fucking business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry. So uh, Katie Nagy did work at the Beverly police department. She was an advocate for domestic violence victims And Jason Lantick, her supposed mistress, I don't even know, also worked at the Beverly Police Department. He had received specialized training in domestic violence cases, and they worked closely together. Jason told investigators at the hospital that they had a relationship that first started as confiding in each other, and it got out of hand. In the time before the shooting, quote, she poured her heart out to me. I had a moment of weakness with Katie, he told police, but I was never intimate with her. So this is all happening, and Ken is still on the run. They don't know where he is. Katie authorizes the Hamilton police that they're allowed to go and search their house in Rowley. There, the police find a six-page suicide note addressed to Katie that Nagy had written on a laptop computer at about 5 p.m. And that was the same exact time that he had called Jason to arrange a meetup. Oh. In the note, Ken said that he planned on shooting Jason Lantick and then killing himself. It gave details about the family's finances, insurance policies, and instructions for his funeral arrangements. What? Yeah. Nagy also left $4,000 in cash, according to the Essex District Attorney Office. So this is all after 5.30 that all of this is taking place. At 10.30 p.m., Beverly police stationed at the scene of the shooting spotted a black SUV turning into the parking lot. Police confirmed that the license plate belonged to Nagy and took up positions near the rear of the SUV whose lights and engine were off. They found Nagy dead from a gunshot wound to the head with a handgun in his lap. Tests later confirmed that the weapon was his department issued 40 caliber Glock and it was used in both the shooting and the suicide. In the passenger seat beside him was a copy of the suicide note and his wife's personal journal. What? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Out of respect for the family's privacy, neither was released to the public. So that is the story in Sleepy Little Beverly. Wow. And then um, I looked up some stats on domestic violence, specifically in the families of police officers, Mm -hmm. because I feel like it is a little bit more elevated and I just wanted to check that out. And unfortunately it is. So though data on police domestic violence is not only notoriously difficult to gather, but it's also skewed by the culture of silence. It suggests that police officers in the United States perpetrate acts of domestic violence at roughly 15 times the rate of the general population. Whoa. Because officers tend to protect their own, domestic victims of violent cops often don't know where to go. Two studies have found that at least 40% of police officer families experience domestic violence, in contrast to the 10% of families in the general population. The number is concerning considering spouses of police officers have unique vulnerability. That is because of three things the study says. One, the officer who is abusing them has a gun. Two, The officer who is abusing them knows the location of battered women's shelters. Three, the officer who is abusing them knows how to manipulate the system to avoid penalty and or shift the blame to the victim. Um, I also have that the National Domestic Violence Hotline defines domestic violence, also known as intimate partner violence, as a pattern of behaviors that physically harm, arouse fear, prevent a partner from doing what they wish, or force them to behave in ways that they do not want. It includes the use of physical and sexual violence, threats and intimidation, emotional abuse, and economic deprivation. Many of these different forms of domestic violence abuse can be occurring at any one time within the same intimate relationship. Um, and I just want to throw out the hotline in case you or somebody you know need help. Um, the hotline is thehotline.org, or you can call 1-800-799-SAFE, 
or 1-800-799-7233. And I also, so I went to thehotline.org just to get the number and everything. And it is a little shocking because when you open up the screen, another pop-up window immediately comes up and says security alert. Internet usage can be monitored and is impossible to erase completely. If you're concerned about your internet usage might be monitored, call us immediately at the 1-800-799-SAFE number. And then also they allow it. So if you need to escape the tab immediately, you can just hit the escape button twice and it'll immediately go to like google.com in case like, you know, somebody walks in, which is just like even thinking that way constantly, Mm -hmm. this might be monitored. And it's so great that the website does that because I wasn't even thinking that. And in that warning, they also say like, make sure you clear your history and all this other stuff. Oh my gosh. But yes. And so I know that that story wasn't, you know, Katie hasn't come out and said that she was being domestically abused in her relationship. And it was, you know, obviously he did physical violence toward the other officer, Officer Jason Lantic. But there is a degree of like emotional abuse that he wanted Katie to be left with because mm-hmm. he, it was his goal to kill himself and this other man that they were having an emotional relationship and leave her with that fucking chaos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and too, it's like, so at first when you brought up the journal Mm -hmm. and how they didn't release it to the public. So at first I was like, okay, so he probably had the journal because maybe she wrote stuff in there about the other guy. But then it's like, why are you fucking like just because you're married to someone they still deserve like it's still their human right to have privacy like you don't get to fucking look in people's journals you Mm -mm. fucking weirdo but I'm just like if you go through the lengths of shooting someone you are definitely maybe not physically abusive who knows but it's like you were doing some kind of you were abusing her some way yeah well, I mean, even just recording her phone calls, I feel yes. like that's an abuse. That's, yeah, emotional abuse. Yeah. Um, did you say if they had kids or not, or was it just them? They did. They had two sons. I believe they were like five and seven at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you know Beverly. It's the town right over from Salem. And it's like, mm-hmm. imagine two fucking police officers from your community having a shootout at the Starbucks fucking yeah. parking lot. Obviously, it wasn't like a Get shootout, but yeah. And also just like the idea that he went back, to, like because he was gone for like five hours, like nobody could find him. And then he just they said he slowly just drove back down the street, pulled into the parking lot, parked it, and then killed himself. So it's like he knew that's where cops would be stationed for, you know, a while. Do you think that he shot those two bullets, like, in the, those spots specifically, like, to where... Yeah, I think he was trying to I think he was trying to hit him in the heart, and it was probably, like, a defense mechanism, like, response to, like put your hand up and that's why he got the wrist. Mm-hmm. And I think he was trying to shoot him in the dick and he got the thigh. Wow. It goes back. And the reason that I thought about doing this episode was because last episode, when you were talking about those two true crime stories of men killing their spouses, and it's just, it goes back to that idea that you just completely going so fucking far beyond the rational reaction to it. You know what I mean? It's like a rational reaction is my marriage is coming to maybe a close. Maybe we can work on therapy together. Maybe we can do this. Here are like some routes we can take. Either it's divorce, either it's counseling, whatever. And instead of that, just completely closing down and trying to murder other people and just fucking blow up your life in such a way. It's like, think about your fucking sons who now have to live the rest of their lives with this trauma. There is an unrational idea with some men that they are like that their spouses are their possessions. And it's like, you don't get to decide Mm -hmm. that you're leaving. You don't get to decide that this person gives you more than I do. And therefore I get to end this however the fuck I want, you know? Mm -hmm. What year did this happen? 2012. Thankfully, at the end of this story, at least Katie's still alive. At least Jason's still alive. 
Um, the kids are okay. The kids are okay. I don't even know how to wrap that up, but uh, let's not. All right. So we're going to do our let's not. So I feel like this episode was a roller coaster of emotion. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try to lighten it up a little bit. And I'm going to circle back around to Paul Rudd. Okay. Yeah. Let's <laughs> do it. Let's not forget how attractive humor is. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like if you haven't, it's it's so important to laugh. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Uh, let's not double down on bad behavior. I mean, the whole Free Britney movement happened because we all realized that we were being such pieces of shit back in 2005. You know what? If you secretly hate them, that's fine. But don't go publicly mm-hmm. trashing people on social media. <laughs> yeah. Just unfollow. Don't purchase mm-hmm. the music. Don't watch the movies. Like, yep. Just move on with your life. Yeah. You don't need to be verbally abusing people that you don't agree with. Just move on and live your best life. That's the best revenge. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Let us know uh, what you thought of it and um, stay safe out there. We love you so much. We love you. And have a great week. See you next week. Bye. Let's Not Podcast is part of The Dorkening, which is a network dedicated for podcasters, a group of shows helping each other to grow, share ideas, collaborate, and innovate. You can check out more at thedorkening.com. And thank you to our sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee. Deadly Grounds Coffee is fresh roasted here in New England by skilled master roasters in a unique way that allows the true flavor of the bean to come through. It's coffee the way it was meant to be. Fresh, bold, delicious. It's coffee to die for. Check them out at DeadlyGroundsCoffee.com.